Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Hello and welcome for the Go for Leadership uh, episode. My guest today is Alan Hankins. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. I'm really excited to be here today with you. Go for Leadership interviews. Awesome. Alan, like always, we ask our guests to introduce themselves. So, Alan, maybe you can introduce to our audience. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Alain Hunkins. It's that French Alain. I know we have a very international audience here, so most people are probably familiar with it. My mother's from Belgium, gave me a very French Francophone, Francophile name. I'm from New York City originally. I now live in Northampton, Massachusetts, but I've worked in 25 countries around the world. So I feel like, like you, Daniel, a bit of a global citizen. And for me, what I'm really about is I help high performers become high performing leaders. As most people probably are listening know, is that most of us may have gotten promoted because we were really good doers, right? And so it's like, you're good at like, for example, sales. So we'll make you the sales leader. And of course, there's a huge gap between being that high performer and knowing how to facilitate high performance in others. And so my work is really about helping aspiring leaders to adopt what I call a facilitative mindset. If you think about the nature of the world, we've gone very far away from leaders as commander in chief, because we're no longer living in that industrial age economy. We're now needing leaders to be facilitators in chief in this knowledge work economy where people choose to engage, choose to enroll, choose to be a part of something. And so my work is really about helping people to become better leaders. And that's through writing, through speaking, through coaching, through training, through everything I do pretty much. And that's true, not just professionally, but trying to help my family and my community and my friends as well. Awesome. I like that a lot. And then that's also the purpose, of course, of this podcast. So maybe we can get started by, by your definition of leadership. What does leadership mean to you? Sure, sure. So a little level setting on this one. So leadership is not a position or a title. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. But for me, leadership is ultimately, we'll say it is a performing art. And why I say that It's because leadership is stuff you do and say and stuff you don't do and don't say. So it is the performing art of getting someone that could be one other person. It could be just yourself, frankly, if it's self-leadership, but it's about getting someone to work with you to get something done. That's it. That's leadership. That's influence, right? If you think about that. So that is a very, very broad definition of leadership. And if you use that definition, that means that all of us are leading every day. The question is are we doing so intentionally and are we doing so effectively, which I think we're going to cover in the rest of this conversation. Sure. So I, I very like that definition. And uh, of course, that leads to the next question, how you actually can become a, a good leader in your view. What is the journey uh, or the, the path that you have outlined in, in the observations of many careers, I'm sure, uh, to become a good leader? Yeah. So I'd say step number one is you need a degree of self-awareness. Okay, if you look at all the studies around bi cognitive biases, you might have heard like 95% of people think they are above average drivers of automobiles. Like that's not possible, like 50% are above average, 50% below average, there's an average. And so as a leader, you need to, first of all, have the courage, because I do believe it takes courage to honestly hold up a mirror and take a look at what are your strengths? What are the areas that need improvement? and look at what is it costing you to stay where you are. I think the reason, you know, we have an epidemic of poor leadership around the world because there's a paradox with leadership is that some people, they get to the leadership role. I've got the power. Why should I change? It's not my problem. It's your problem. 
And so anyone who ever had a bad boss knows exactly what I'm talking about. So the first place to start is by the willingness to recognize that leadership development is this continuous and never-ending journey of improvement. And to do that, you've got to reach out and get feedback. And it starts, I think, first with this mindset that the leader's role is to serve others for them to succeed. Because let's face it, if all your teams and people succeed, then you succeed. But for a lot of people, because it's been modeled so poorly, when we inhabit that leadership role, these strange power dynamics come in and ego, and suddenly we're telling people and bossing them around. And look, it didn't work well. Look, it didn't work well when we were kids with our parents, right? We got to be rebellious teenagers. It doesn't work well with other adults. So the first place to start is that mindset of how can I make sure that my role is to help others to facilitate achieving performance goals easier. Do you think that in particular in difficult situations like exactly the pandemic that you have outlined, uh, you can see the difference between a good and a bad leader, so to say? Yeah, yeah. So one of my mentors used to use this analogy. He said, you know, if you squeeze an orange, you know, it comes out It's orange juice. But if you squeeze a leader, You know, when they're under pressure, when they get squeezed, what comes out? I think that it's in the pandemic, all leaders got squeezed by the nature of the fact that we're going through a collective global trauma. I mean, this is a trauma. And so those that were already well-equipped to know how to connect, communicate, and collaborate with people who saw people as essentially human beings who need environments for them to perform at their best, they're the ones when they got squeezed, they rose to the occasion where other ones went, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. And they're barely staying above water. So yes, very much, you can tell. So um, you outlined a little bit about the roles in your perspective, but maybe you can give me a little bit more glimpse about uh, how would you define the leadership role in a, in a team, for example? Yeah, well, in terms of, you know, there's both formal and informal leadership. So the formal leader in a team may have the title. So in that case, their role is to facilitate making sure we have access to the information that we need so that we can make the best decisions to ultimately achieve the best results. And the goal, ideally, if they're doing this well, is they are facilitating conversations and decision-making so that everyone feels like they are a part of the process. And ideally, the leader themselves, unless maybe there's a tie and they need to break the tie, is that the team can actually be facilitated to self-govern, self-decide, because the reason for doing so is people are much more engaged in the process and the likelihood of them committing to whatever you have to do next is much higher. So that's the formal leadership role. Informal is recognizing that whether I'm a team member or I have the title is, so for example, I come to a meeting and we are starting the meeting, but no one has ever announced what the agenda of the meeting is. There is nothing stopping me as a team member to say, hey, Daniel, before you get started here with our meeting, can you just walk us through big picture what the agenda is? Right, So that I can do no matter what my role. And I think it's important. It's a strange thing because if you look at so many organizations, if you look at the power dynamics that we have, right, you have adults. These are all adults. And employees are adults who manage households, raise children, pay their mortgages on time, mow their lawns, you know, go to the dentist, take care of things. Very capable, competent people. And it's amazing how many of us, because of the cultural norms of our business work organizations, we come into work and suddenly we're all seven years old. 
well, they didn't send me the email, so I'm not going to get back to them. Why should I bother? You know, or you know what I mean? It's just really strange. And what that really shows is what that means. Ultimately, leadership is a relationship and it should be a relationship between adult to adult. And if we're trying to continue a parent-child dynamic, you're going to get parent-child results. So anyway, there's a lot of different pieces to this puzzle that you need to unpack to understand how as a leader can you help you and others perform at their best. It's a funny because sometimes it feels that you are in kindergarten in a company. <laughs> sometimes it does, yes. So, so how you come, uh, how you get your way out of this, let's say, circle of, of kindergarten? How you transform a team of, let's say, childs into a high-performing team? Oh, what a good question, Daniel. How do you do it? Well, first of all, if you are in the leadership role and you realize, let's say you inherited a new team, um, the first way you do it is you stop treating people like kindergartners, uh, which means you start by inquiry. I think the superpower that many leaders don't access is listening. And it's connecting by being present and asking very provocative, open-ended questions. Because by if I said to you, you're on the team, let's say you're, you're part of my kindergarten team that I want to turn around, Daniel, right? And I've just come in as the new leader of this team. So Daniel, I go, Daniel, so help me understand. You've been here for three years. I'm brand new to the team. What do you see as the biggest needs for this team to change for us to be more effective? And then I shut up and listen. You notice that in that question, there are so many things that are implied in that question. Number one, I'm treating you like an adult. I'm giving you respect. I'm giving you time and space and focus. So those are all implied. And I also believe that as an adult, you have the answers. You don't need to be the parent to be here and tell you what we're going to do. Right? That's all that is going to do at best is breed compliance, where people are going to give the minimum discretionary effort. So they basically don't lose their jobs. I was just coaching a leader on this exact same thing yesterday with our team. And part of it as me as a leader is I have to let go of the control and the belief that I need to have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. No one does. What you need to do is be the person who asks really good questions and facilitate getting the information out from the 10 or 12 or number of brains on your team out so that we know what's going on and we can make better decisions. Ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Ultimately, you are leading people in the people business. We are all first and foremost as leaders in the people business because nothing happens without people. I don't care. Sales, revenue, operations, those are all just lagging metrics that indicate the behavior that someone, a person has done. I think that's a great uh, impulse as well as... Um, which drives me to the next question: How, how you can unleash um, the the motivation or the the yeah the motivation of people? Once you have, let's say, uh, made the magic question, and you got the impulse or the feedback how to improve the team, how you can unleash then the motivation driving forward to push uh, improvements? Okay, great, great question. I think this really boils down to, and I, I write about this, actually, the whole third section of my book, Cracking the Leadership Code, goes into detail around this. The third, the third, or actually the fourth, technically, the section, it's called collaboration. The first two before that are connection and communication. But if you look at what is it going to take for people to be motivated optimally in a collaborative team-based environment, there's four key elements. 
And the first is safety. And, and I don't mean just physical safety, which is obviously true, especially in a pandemic, but I'm talking psychologically safe. So people need to feel that their voice matters. And also as they are part of the team, that we can't just have one or two voices dominate. And there are many people have experienced that, right? Where you just have a few loud people and everyone else pulls back. So as a leader, one thing in terms of motivation, people have to feel like they have not just a seat at the table, but a voice at the table as well. That's safety. The next thing that's going to help people to feel motivated around this is you need to create an environment that energizes people. Everything you do as a leader, sometimes I say you as a leader, you're the CEO. That stands for chief energy officer for your team. I mean, the, the way neuroscience works and the human body is designed, we are all open looped. What that means is that emotions are contagious. And here's the tricky part is that negative emotions are actually more contagious than positive emotions. And there's all sorts of research and data that goes into that. All of which to say is as a leader, if you're going to energize people, you need to figure out what are the drivers that will energize them. I'll give you an example. I'm sure you have experienced this, Daniel. Many of our listeners probably have, is you get brought to a meeting that is scheduled for three hours. And whoever is convening the meeting an hour goes by and you're still going. An hour and a half goes by, you're still going. An hour and 45 minutes. And you're at a point like, are we going to take a break? Two hours, and you still haven't taken a break. And you know, at this point, no one is listening to anything because people just physically, biologically, we need a break every 90 minutes or more often. And so, for example, what are you doing as the leader to make sure that, oh, I'm working with human beings who have biological needs. I need to build that in. Otherwise, you know, I might be telling myself, I'm being more efficient. You know, we're not taking a break. We're getting more done. But this is the, the, the problem is that so many leaders value efficiency over effectiveness. I'll give you another example of that too. We have a new initiative and I've got 10 people on my team. Okay. I want them to be committed. This is a, a complex new thing. We're rolling out a whole new product launch. And I need my entire team to be involved. Well, I could write an email and send it to all 10 people. Look how efficient of me, right? I can, and I can spend hours writing my email and crafting it. And it's so good. Or I can meet with each of them one-on-one -on -one and take, it's going to be 10 meetings. I'm going to be redundant. It's not efficient for me at all. However, what's the likelihood of their commitment, their ownership, their buy-in, their willingness to go along with this? It's going to go way up because I've taken that time. So sometimes we have to scrap efficiency and focus on effectiveness. So we've got safety, we've got energy. We've talked about those two. Two more things, ownership and purpose. The next thing that's going to motivate people is they have to feel that what they do matters, that what they're doing is contributing to a larger whole, something bigger than themselves. Purpose is one of the new undiscovered frontiers. More companies are starting to get a sense of this, but there's been some great research out there around when people feel aligned and connected to both their personal purpose and then the organizational purpose they are extremely more motivated. You retain them. They're engaged. So that is a huge component is how do you unlock the power of purpose? And the fourth is around ownership, is giving people latitude or autonomy so that they can make their own decisions. I have yet to meet a single person who has ever said to me, you know, I had this great boss and I loved, I loved, loved, loved how they used to micromanage me, right? Said nobody ever. So the fact is you want to give people a clear destination, give them a clear what? but let them decide the how and give them some space and some freedom to do so. So just to recap those four elements, safety, energy, 
purpose and ownership, if you can design and think of yourself as a motivational architect, if you can design an environment that can meet those human needs, you are well on your way to being able to motivate your team effectively. Perfect. I really like that. So um, th the thing that um, I also wanted to touch base because we, we outlined that there are so many poor leaders out there. And I think you, you mentioned that 71% uh, of organizations say their leaders are not future ready. So what can organizations do in order to, um, let's say, prepare their leaders uh, to become better and better? So you have such good questions today, Daniel. Um, so in terms of making your leaders better and better, my experience is that you have a lot of leaders who have titles like executive vice president, director, and you actually look at what they do in the course of their day to day. Many leaders are operating at a two or three levels below what their title would suggest, which tells me, and also having coached many leaders at many levels, a lot of leaders find themselves stuck in reactive tactical firefighting mode. What's the crisis? How do I put it out? You know, so many leaders are spending their time responding and reacting to the emails coming into their inbox. One of my colleagues likes to say, your inbox is a very handy organizing tool for other people's agendas. So the fact is, one key thing to start to shift out of this is you've got to pull yourself out of the weeds. And this goes back to efficiency and effectiveness. A lot of leaders are so hooked into the dopamine and adrenaline of I'm firefighting, I'm getting all these things done. Well, what if there were no fires to put out in the first place? Like, what would you do with yourself? How could you start to build the capacity in other people? Which means in some ways you have to delay gratification in the short term for longer term gratification or longer term results. So a good place to start is by carving out some strategic time. And if you have to do this on a Sunday night to get started, great. So Sunday night, take a look at your week. What is it going to look like? Are you carving out time so you can do some deep thinking? And then another key component around this is where do you spend your mental energy? So for example, do you is the norm in your organization when people are having meetings, and this is back to face-to-face -face days, but I would see this, you know, we would have meetings and everyone would be pulling out their laptops and working on their emails during the meeting, right? Again, you're shaking your head, you know, squirming <laughs> your eye. So look, that is ridiculous. Why are we having an hour meeting where everyone is giving 20% focus? Let's have a 10-minute meeting. Let's all be here, be focused, get done, and then you can do your other thing. I mean, multitasking does not work. And so as leaders... And the same thing with interrupting. Like if you're being constantly interrupted, the research shows that every time you're interrupted, it takes an average of 23 minutes to get back to the task cognitive bandwidth level of focus that you had before you were interrupted. So when somebody says, do you got a minute? What they're really saying is, do you got a minute plus 23 minutes? And the answer is no, you don't have that time. So part of what we need to do as leaders, it's a paradox, is we have to, on the one hand, be able to set very clear boundaries so we can focus and give that deep thought to what needs to be focused on. And at the same time, as we set those boundaries, we also need to find places and intentionality where we are open and accessible and people can feel that they can connect to us and come to us so we can support them, right? Those two things are not mutually exclusive. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Much in the same way is... I've just had this conversation last week with a leader who was like, you know what? I want to be empathetic with my team. I want to care about them, 
but I'm accountable for the results. We've got a business to deliver, right? We're not just in the feel-good business. Time out. Why do you think that accountability and empathy have to be an either-or question? It's a both-and. And so I guess what I'm getting at here is what you can do is you need to figure out your mindset. Because if you're living in a mindset that is either you know binary, either or, black and white, I can only do this, you might be working in the wrong mindset and it's keeping you stuck. I love that. And I'm very curious about to learn, uh, you just launched the 30-day leadership challenge. So what is this all about? I'm very curious to hear more. Great. So yeah, I partner with a technology company and what we've done is we have created an online platform that is for the most part, asynchronous, over the course of 30 days, you get to practice in community, which is the cool part. You practice the skills of leadership in community. And specifically, you learn how to become a better connector, a better communicator, and a better collaborator. And throughout the 30 days, you are guided through a series of prompts. And there's a short online trainings that are literally 80, 80 to 90 second videos. There's a place for you to set your daily intention around how am I going to show up today? Because every single day as a leader, we have a blank canvas and we can show up. And I think lousy leaders show up to that canvas by default unconsciously, and they just paint whatever they want. And great leaders show up with intention and by design. So the challenge is a place for you to learn intentional leadership by design and practice and embed these habits in community and getting support from other people in the cohort and me, because I'm cued in and I'm commenting on people. So you get micro coaching along the way. So it's super powerful. In fact, we just finished a challenge a few weeks ago before we recorded. And literally I got three emails in the course of two days where people said, this has been life changing. So again, 20% of what you learn listening to podcast insight, 80% of what you learn And in terms of applying, you're going to need to flex your muscles. So the 30-day challenge gives you an opportunity to strengthen your leadership muscles, specifically the muscles of connection, communication, and collaboration. And I think there are also so many poor uh, communication out there. I mean, I have uh, had the honor and the privilege to work with many, many great leaders. And what I have to be really strong in common is strong communication skills and listening skills, for sure. So um, you also have published or will publish soon a, a book, your book, um, How to Crack the Leadership Code. Maybe you can also quickly outline what is uh, the content all about. Sure, yeah. Cracking the Leadership Code. The subtitle is Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And we've talked about those three secrets, their connection, communication, and collaboration. And yes, the book is published. It actually came out uh, March the 24th, 2020, right as the world shut down in the pandemic. So it's been very well received. Uh, it was an Amazon bestseller in business communication as a new release when it came out. And we've had re readers from literally all around the world reading it. And yeah, you can check it out. It's on Amazon. There's an audiobook version. There's 109 Amazon reviews in the United States, uh, of which 108 are four, five-star reviews. Um, and so what the book really takes through, it's a distillation of my work as a leadership practitioner over the last 25 years. And the good news is if you've read business books, mostly to put yourself to sleep, this one won't because <laughs> I know the way we all learn is through stories, as I've tried to share some stories along the way today, is the book is very story-driven, but it's very practical. So what does it mean to be a better connector? Well, it has to do with empathy and credibility, and we dive into that. And not only do we share the things to do, the book shares a lot of, because again, I've worked with thousands and thousands of leaders over the years, it shares a lot of 
here's what's going to trip you up. Because let's face it, if leadership was that easy, we'd have a lot better leaders than we do. And like we said, only about 23% of people believe their leaders lead well. And so it's simple, but it's not easy. It's common sense, but it's not common practice. And so the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, will help you to accelerate your own leadership development. Perfect. And uh, let me come to, to the conclusion, because I think we could have talked hours more. What you have said uh, the younger Alan uh, when he joined or started his career as an advice? Wow, such a good, I mean, there's so many things I would probably go back and say. Um, number one, uh, I'm going to probably say two or three things here because there's such a good question. Um, number one, don't get so hung up on what other people think about you. Because frankly, they're not thinking about you. They're busy thinking about themselves. So that's one, one thing I would share. <laughs> and the other thing I would share, this is connected, by the way, is I'd seek out feedback more often from others about what you need to improve. You know, as just honestly say, hey, what can I do to improve and get that feedback and, and say thank you and then take it and see about applying it. And number three, I guess what I would also say is it's okay to ask for help. I think early on, I felt this needed, like my ego was, I got to do that. I got to prove myself. And what I am finding more and more is the people who ultimately succeed and are effective, they ask for help because this idea of leader as superhero is a myth. It might work and it might sell movies in Hollywood, but for the rest of us, we need to be humans and asking for help is a big part of being human. So those would be my three words of wisdom to younger Alain. It's a great question, Daniel. Go for Leadership, the podcast with Daniel and Gerd. Thank you so much, Alan, for being our guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Go for Leadership, the podcast.